Will you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, the passage that I read out of at the beginning of the service. And we're going to focus on one particular verse, and that's going to launch us then into the rest of our message. I read the passage that talks about the armor of God. Like I said, it's a very popular passage, one that there's studies about it, there's kids' programs. The armor of God is a passage that a lot of people would know about, but there's one verse in particular in that that I want to highlight in regards to our topic of spiritual battleground. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says that our struggle, anybody ever struggled before? Okay, just checking. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, before you scratch your head and go, wait a second, there's evil spirits in heaven, we're talking about if you look to the heavens, okay, there's a spiritual realm, and there is a lot of activity going on. And our struggle here in the seen realm is not against flesh and blood, even though sometimes there's, if you will, battles in our own family. There's battles at the workplace. There's battles when you're going down the road and whoever was next to you didn't do what you thought they should do. But ultimately, we need to understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against, it's against the evil one. It's in the spiritual realm. Barna did a study that says roughly 65% of Christians believe that there's activity going on in the spiritual realm. Two-thirds believe that. One-third of Christians say they don't, they don't think anything's happening there. I think that's interesting, especially when you actually read Scripture and you see what's really going on. You're like, man, how could you not believe that? That same poll also revealed that roughly 60%, so 6 out of 10 people who claim to be Christian, believe that Satan is not a living being, but he is a symbol of evil. Now again, all you got to do is open up the Bible, and you'll see real quick that Satan is very real. He's very real. And... If these are stats that are out there for our culture today, I thought if I'm going to give a message on spiritual warfare and understanding what's going on in the spiritual realm, we have to do a little bit of a history lesson to catch us up. Because there's people that don't even know where Satan came from. Like why in the world would, would all of this happen? How did this begin? Where did this all come from? And I want to walk us through that a little bit, understanding the origin of Satan. First of all, you need to understand that Colossians 1.16 tells us that in Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Satan is a created being. Now you might be sitting there going, why in the world would God create Satan? Why would he create him? And I think that's where we have to have a little bit more of a history lesson. Anybody know what his name was as an angel? Lucifer. That word Lucifer, that name Lucifer, meant light bearer or shiny one. 
It's often believed that he was the worship leader in heaven. And Ezekiel 38 and Isaiah 14 give us a little bit of an idea of what this might be like and what this might look like. And I've heard also that if you can imagine what took place in heaven when he was the worship leader, he's given all this praise and, and, and glory to God the Father. And in one moment, as Satan's leading worship, it's like pride filled him and he began to, to take some of that worship for himself. And then Jesus himself said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Have you ever seen lightning and how quick that is? Satan, in his pride, the word would be merchandised. Merchandising. If I was a, a somebody who was working at a store and the owner asked me to handle the cash register and I sold an item for $300 and I put 200 in the cash register and I take 100 for myself. That's essentially the exchange that took place, if you will, when Satan, as he was Lucifer and he was leading this heavenly realm of worship, took some for himself and was cast out of heaven. The Bible reveals to us that a third of the angels went with him. A third of the angels went with him. And Satan is the leader of these evil angels, and he has a vast host of subordinates who do his evil will. Now, there's times in the church setting where say, man, Satan is at me today. Have you ever heard stuff like that? Maybe you've even said that yourself. And I know what you mean when you say that, but I want to tell you something. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. Only God can be everywhere at once. But Satan, through his subordinates, his influence, can be at a lot of places at once. Does that make sense? So when we say, man, Satan's really at me today, we, we're trying to say is that Satan and his subordinates, the enemy, is at it. And he is going at us. And he is, he is ripping us apart. Just one troop of demons that's described in Revelation chapter 9 says there's 200 million. That's just one troop. So you imagine a third of the angels and one troop that's described here, 200 million. Satan's name means adversary or enemy. The devil means accuser. The Bible calls Satan our great enemy and he's like a lion that roars and he prowls around and looking for someone that he could devour. The Bible calls him the father of lies and that there is absolutely no truth in him. The Bible calls him the great dragon and that ancient or that old serpent that you'd see in Genesis chapter 3 when he was tempting Eve. The Bible calls Satan the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. The Bible calls him the God of this world, the prince of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the deceiver of the whole world. The Bible also calls Satan the tempter. These are some things that I think it's important we understand 
it's kind of awkward to say I'm giving a message and I'm going to talk about Satan. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of taking a moment here to stop the car and really highlight who he is. And the point of this is we need to understand who the enemy of our soul is and what he wants to do. We live in a culture that just walks around totally clueless of these things. And it's important as followers of Christ to know what the scriptures say about the enemy of your soul. He's our tempter. And I want to be clear that you and I in our sin nature, we already have a problem with temptation. How many of you can agree with that? In our own sin nature. In James chapter 1, the Bible says that we are enticed we are drawn into things by our own desires. By our own desires. And sometimes we say, man, Satan's really tempting me. I mean, he's called the tempter, but we have to understand, you and I have the, the propensity, we have kind of this tendency to already be enticed and drug away into things that we shouldn't be in. And to take that even further, I got a little bit of a, an illustration I want us to understand is, is while we're enticed and drug away by our own desires, Satan comes along and he likes to add fuel to the fire on that. You know, you're having a bad day, that's like the perfect time to be like, all right, I know you want this. Look how shiny that is. And it looks shiny, but man, if you were to grab that, I could do some damage, huh? You want to try? No, you know better than that. Paul, you didn't get much sleep last night? I'm going to just aggravate you. There's a tendency to want to go towards your sinful nature in those moments. We're already, as sinners, we have a tendency to lean in a certain direction, and Satan just comes in and kind of adds to it. Right? Here's your struggle. Here you go, Jason. Look how shiny that is. Right, Charles? There you go. Didn't, did you have breakfast this morning? Are you getting hangry? Oh, okay. All right. But I think sometimes we, we laugh, but here's the deal. It happens every day. Every day. Some of you, it probably happened before you even got here. Maybe your patience was running a little thin. You didn't get much sleep last night, and then the people you love get the brunt of that. Anybody relate to that? No? <laughs> We're enticed by our own desires and the enemy is there to pour fuel onto that fire. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, we should just submit ourselves unto God and when we do that, we, we want to resist the enemy because he's there fishing for us, so to speak. And when you resist him... He's going to flee. How many of you have ever gone fishing and not caught a single thing? Anybody? Yeah. You, or how many of you have gone out in a boat and you're fishing somewhere and it's not happening, so then you move. You go to another spot. Okay? Some of you can relate to that. I hope that as you guys, as followers of Christ and myself as well, that as Satan's fishing, nothing's biting, so he's out of there. Does that make sense? Resist the enemy... And he will flee from you. And the Bible goes on to say, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
I said earlier, 1 Peter chapter 5 says to stay alert because your great enemy, the devil, prowls around. You keep the fishing illustration going, it's like he's got a little trolling motor. He just comes along there and sees who he can snag and cause destruction in their life. He prowls around. You need to stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Ephesians 4 says, give no opportunity to the devil. No opportunity. And I think it's important to, to recall that in temptation, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. We all have struggles and sometimes we feel so isolated in that issue. And I'm the only one who struggles with this. But that scripture should give light to the fact that there are people who struggle with the same thing that you might be struggling with. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This passage is oftentimes misquoted in a really tough and difficult situation. Where Have you ever heard people say, well, God will not give you more than you can handle? That's the passage that they're trying to quote. But the context of that is, is in temptation. God will not allow more temptation than you can handle. He will give you a way out. So the next time the devil comes fishing around your pond, I encourage you to take that passage and say, God has given me a way out. His word promises me that. So I can resist the devil, and he will troll off onto another area, and I don't have to worry about it. That's when we start applying the scripture into our life and you'll see the fruit that can begin to happen. And talking about Satan and his army might seem a little overwhelming and believe me, I want to tell you something right now. You and I, we garner nothing in our own strength to fight against that. Earlier I said our battle is not against flesh and blood, so do not expect to accomplish anything in your own flesh. That is in your own power. Second Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that our weapons, the weapons that God has given us, they're not carnal. They're not of the flesh. Have you ever heard that verse before? Our weapons. We have been given weapons by God, and they're not of the flesh. And these weapons have the power to knock down strongholds. And they can destroy deception. They can break down pride. And they can take thoughts captive. You can look at that passage in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 through 6. But you need to recognize that access to that kind of arsenal starts at the cross. Colossians 2 says that the record of our debt was nailed to the cross, and when that happened, it disarmed the enemy, publicly shaming them. Christ has done the work. Hebrews 2 says that Christ's death broke Satan's power. So earlier I gave you some truth of who Satan is and what the Bible calls him and tells him, but now I hope there's some encouragement starting to roll here because he has been disarmed by what Christ has done on the cross. So how in the world can you fight this battle? By taking your life. 
to the foot of the cross. Are you sitting here today listening and you're struggling with a sin issue, which ultimately is a pride issue? If you're struggling with a sin issue, it's a pride issue. And you need to take that to the foot of the cross. You need to die to that pride in your life. Do you ever feel like you're under attack? Take it to the cross. Do you ever feel like you've been overcome by the enemy? Take that to the cross. First John tells us that we have overcome the devil because the one who is in me is far greater than the one who is in the world. When Christ comes into your life, it's not like, okay, I guess it's back to life as usual then. No, you have been given the power of God working in and through you and your circumstances and your situation. If you're a believer in Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible tells us that there is great power available to believers. And that power is the same power that resurrected Christ. There's resurrection power living in me as a follower of Christ. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, He prays for us. He intercedes for us. He speaks to us. He illuminates the scriptures. He comes alongside us and He guides us and He leads us. He comforts us and He empowers us. That study I mentioned earlier, 60% of Christians don't think that the Holy Spirit is a real living being. That He's just a symbol of God's power and presence. And I'm telling you right now, he's way more than a symbol. The Holy Spirit is very real. And while we took a moment earlier to mention the vast number of demonic spirits, I think it's only fitting that we put them in their rightful place by mentioning God's amazing angel army that doubles them in number. Now, if you remember, a third fell from heaven, that means there's two-thirds. They are double in size, double in size by number, two-thirds, hundreds of millions. Hebrews 12 says it's thousands upon thousands, and Revelation 5 says that it's uh, 10,000 times 10,000, and in the Greek language, the largest actual word they could use for a number was 10,000, and so you can imagine the writers trying to say there is so many, vast number. And in the midst of knowing how many that there might be, the scriptures also tell us that God will command his angels concerning us to guard us in all of our ways. If you look at that verse, I want to encourage you, if you go home and you, you look up Psalm 91, 11, I want you to, when, when it says he will command his angels to guard us, I want you to circle us and then I want you to write your name into that passage. To let that come to life and understanding that as a believer in Jesus, God commands his angel armies to guard you in all of your ways. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says that angel spirits are sent to serve and care for us. It's amazing. No wonder Paul can say, if God is for us, who could be against us? 
Think of what is going on in the spiritual realm. It was about a year or so ago, um, I was getting the trailer ready for LifeGate, and we were loading things. Brian, my father-in-law, and I, we were getting things ready, and he was here working on some cabinets, and he happened to be out by his truck when I was loading things in the trailer. And one of the items uh, I had was that I needed to get a cross into the trailer because we used a cross for uh, the backdrop on the stage. And it was really windy that day. And how many of you have ever had this moment with a cargo trailer that when the wind picks up, here comes the door and get out of the way? Anybody been there or seen that happen? Well, I mean, I've seen that happen before. And usually when that bus, it comes flying and, you know, get out of the way. Well, I was loading the cross into the trailer, and at that very moment, boom, the door just busted off its hinge of, of the trailer that, that held it in place, and it swung my direction. And I knew how fast the wind was going, and this was coming at a faster rate than the wind. And I'm trying to be as straightforward. I'm not trying to, to like uh, embellish this moment so that somehow it sounds like this was of the spiritual realm. I'm telling you, this thing was coming with some speed. And when that thing was heading my direction, I was like on my way into the trailer, and here it comes, and it is burling towards me. And then when it got right where I was at, it just stopped. And it was the door and the cross, and it was me. And I went up into the trailer, and I walked it in. I was like, that, that could have been bad, you know, and I put that down. Well, and Brian, who was on the other side of the door, he thought it smoked me, and that's why it stopped. So he came walking over to see how I was. Like, he thought maybe I broke my arm or something, because it was coming at some speed, and I go, Brian, did you just see that? And he goes, yeah, that's why I came over here. And I said, it didn't hit me. And for me, I chalked that moment up that something was going on in the spiritual realm. And you might think I'm crazy, and you might think I'm trying to stretch that to it, but I was there, okay? And I have somebody else that was there, and we were both going, man. There's things happening in the unseen world. And you might have testimonies of your own. Just last week at the women's conference, Cindy was sharing about being up in Rochester and they were doing surgery on her, and there was a, a doctor, one of the staff person that was there, and, and came up to the husband and gave such a strong word of encouragement to the husband about the wife's condition, about Cindy's condition. And it was so encouraging to him that he wanted to then introduce his wife to that staff member, and then when they went to do that, they couldn't find that staff member anywhere. So they're asking staff, do you know who this is? They have a picture of the guy. He took a picture of this person standing at her bedside. Nobody at Mayo knows that individual. And he was in staff clothing, and he was there. Maybe you've got stories of your own, and I'll share one more here as we have some time. But when I was up in Minnesota, my boss, he was out on the road with uh, our ministry team, and they were at a, a kind of a gymnasium setup. And it was at a, um, a men's shelter. And the team was really struggling with some things that they felt was spiritual warfare. 
And so they spent time as a team praying over that facility, praying over that gym. And my boss, who was there to train the team, kind of just gets to step back and watch them do what they're doing. And it was to that point in the ministry event that he was able to just stand back, watch the team do what they're doing, and just be there to help in any way. And he said, I saw an angel that went from floor to ceiling in that gymnasium with a quiver on his back, arrow ready to go, like he was defending that place. And my friend is not screwed up here, okay? You can trust this guy, and when he was telling that story, it was like, man, we have no idea sometimes what's happening in the unseen world. And there's moments where in Scripture, people have the opportunity to just kind of peel some of that back and get to see what's actually happening. And there's that moment where uh, the servant and Elijah, they're in this moment where they're being surrounded by the enemy, and Elijah's like, hey, you know, no big deal. Like, he knows the God that he serves and the army that's with them, with God on his side. And the servant is freaking out. What are we going to do? We're totally surrounded. And for a moment, he prays that God would give him those spiritual eyes, and all of a sudden, he can see this vast angel army all around the enemy. And it changed that servant's perspective. Believe me, but more than me, believe the word. There's a spiritual battle going on. Scripture tells us that God will soon crush Satan. That's Romans 16. Because in Revelation 20, verse 10, this is Satan's fate. He will be thrown into the lake of fire. And he will be there forever. It's not that he's going to be destroyed and he'll no longer be living. He's going to be tormented day and night, the Bible says, with the Antichrist and the false prophet. This is his fate. And the Bible tells us, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 25, that hell was created for Satan and his demons. Because of sin, because of their disobedience. Hell is Satan's fate and he's trying to take as many as he can all the way to the very end. We live in a culture that wants to eliminate the thought of hell. How many of you agree with that? Everybody just goes to heaven. Have you ever heard that? There are many ways, same God, I've heard stuff like that. Pew Research Center, this is polling Americans, not just Christians. Pew Research Center says that 45% of Americans believe that there's no hell. So half of America believes that there's, there's no hell. You see how the enemy can just deceive people? The deception is very real. And it creeps into the church because the Pew Research Center also says that 30% of Christians fall for this same thing. 30% of Christians believe there's no hell. Jesus talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible. Why are we writing off hell? Because we just don't want it to exist? I mean, I hate the thought of hell. I hate the thought of people suffering and this torment, but the reality is it's there. It exists, and I can't try to wish it away. 
and you can't either. I think there's a very casual view in our culture of hell. And I want to just lead you into a video here, but with a little bit of a precursor. This video is of a lady trying to drive through the fires that have been going on in California. And I'm not trying to make light of the situation that's going on out there. It's a very serious thing. And I was sent this video. Brady sent it to me like, can you just imagine? And when I watch it, it just sucks the wind right out of you. There's just a terror. And I'm going to just tell you, she lived, so I feel it's appropriate. I can show you this. But I want it to do something in regards to our perspective today. So I'm just going to play you this video. It's from an ABC network out in California, and they're going to show you this clip of this lady. Now, I want to say, too, that she's going to say some things that might be a little shocking, but I think it's important, and it, it really drives things home. Oh, my gosh, please, you don't know, worship Please, God, please. Please, God, please. Please, God, Doesn't that just sit weird? And the reality is we live in this culture that's so casual about hell, and it's such a reality. And that there's people that when they draw their last breath on this planet, they go to hell. Because they didn't put their faith and trust in Christ, and the enemy won. This battle over souls is very serious. And we need everything that God has made available through Jesus Christ. And the beauty is, is that all becomes available when you receive him. Because the Holy Spirit comes in and he starts working in your life. And the name of Christ resides over you. And those angels are protecting you and guiding you and leading you. Earlier we talked about what our weapons are. Our weapons are the cross. Our weapons are prayer. Our weapon is the word of God. It's, it's the spirit of God. It's the church as we gather together and encourage each other. It's that angel army. You've been given weapons to battle with. And it's so important to recognize that in this life there is a battle going on. And the enemy will try to trip you up. The enemy will try to convince you 
that this is as good as it gets. Some of you are maybe walking through something right now, and you feel like the enemy has brought you to a place where you just feel like, you know what? I don't have anything else to look forward to. This is it. This is as good as it gets. And when the enemy has done that, he has, he's basically at that point won. He's rendered you ineffective for the kingdom, and you just kind of sit around and go, man, this is it. But it's in those moments that we have to grab onto these weapons that I've just explained. Going to the cross, getting plugged in with your fellow believers, digging into the word, and fighting even harder in those times. Because it's inevitable. We're all going to go through those moments where we feel that isolation and we feel that the situation around us is just caving in. And it's in those moments that we need to reach out. And it's in those moments we need to fight like we've never fought before. Don't ever get passive in your walk with Christ. Just keep filling your life with these things. Filling your life with these things. It's on my heart as administrative pastor as I've stepped into this new role is how are we following up with people that sometimes they're here and sometimes they're not. And I just think, what is the enemy doing in between those moments when they're here or with the body of Christ? What are those moments looking like? I mean, the world and the enemy just have to be slamming them all the time. And where are they standing? What, what do they have to hold on to? And I... I just want to say, I've caught wind in this church of people who are like, you know, our church is growing. Why can't we just stay the size that, you know, where we're comfortable? And the reality is, it's because people are going to hell in our community. And if this church is not saying, we're here to help you out of that situation and put you on the path that Christ has for you, who else is going to do it? This church has to be about taking people from the kingdom of darkness and, and just loving on them and preaching Christ to them and that God will redeem their life and they're on a new path. I hope our church has that passion. I hope through the season as we're about to enter into Christmas, that's times when people are thinking, maybe I should you know, start going to church. I hope you're an inviter. I hope beyond just inviter, you're somebody that is pulling people out of that destruction. Because their fate right now is hell. We need to be people who are going after it with everything we have. Not getting distracted by the things of the world and, and caught up in things that don't really matter. But going after it because the battle is very real. So please, don't be casual. Just take everything that God has available and go with it. Does that make sense? Don't just take things like that for granted. We talked today about people who don't have God's word yet. I've got several copies of that in different translations by different guys who have edited it and made notes. And I mean, come on, we have all of this available to us. Go after it. Don't be casual about it. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we close our service today. Because we're going to end with response.
there's people in this room that right now maybe you're walking through a situation in your life where you're like, man, I am, I am right where you're describing. I feel like I'm just being beat up on. I feel like my circumstances, I am, oh, it's just like it will never end. I'm to that point where I'm almost convinced this is as good as it gets. You need to come forward and we've got a prayer team that will pray with you. And we're going to go to the Lord with that. And we're going to ask for those weapons that are not carnal, but that have the power in the spiritual realm to do some amazing things. We're going to pray for that this morning. And in the midst of that, too, I want to recognize that maybe somebody is listening right now, and you have not surrendered your life to Christ. And I'm telling you, the Bible is very clear. If you have not done that, you're headed for hell. Clear as day, I can't explain it any clearer than that. And you need to respond. It's time. Quit being casual. You need to respond. And it's typical for us here at the end of a service for somebody like me or whoever's leading the message to lead you in that prayer. But I'm going to challenge you with this. I want you to come forward to the prayer team. And I want you to tell them, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And they will pray with you and lead you to the Lord. Because sometimes when we get into this type of setting, lift your hand and we think, well, that did it. And off I go. I'm back out and having cookies before you know it. Like, make it real. Let's not be casual about this moment of worship. And so we're going to respond in that way. I hope that you were encouraged today. That message has been sitting on my spirit and you work things over and how do I say this and what shouldn't I say and Lord help me just process this because there's people that are going to be here that need to hear from you. And I hope that this morning you, you've heard from the Lord through the scriptures and I pray that he used me uh, to, to, to walk through this in a way that's going to help you and encourage you in your faith journey. And uh, as we close this morning, I just want you to know there's a very real battle over your life if you have not picked that up through the message, but that if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen. Will you lift your hands as we uh, go out with our blessing? Father, we thank you so much for your provision, for your guidance over our lives, to know that you've got our back. No matter the circumstances, no matter how we feel, no matter what's up against us and all of those things, we know that you've got our back. And in the midst of that, Lord, there should be a, uh, an element of encouragement that comes from that that causes us to put one foot in front of the other and go out and reach the lost of our community and witness with a boldness of the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. Equip us to do that, Lord. And we pray for your power to be at work in our lives. And we pray that you'd keep taking territory from the enemy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.